There's more to ease. Financial District Home Office. Now that's it. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered what became of Joe and me. We're living on the air at Carnival Personnel. Carnival Personnel Podcast CPP. Listen to Jacques and Comparant Yapping. While Joe can quote a movie line by line. They may have no idea what they're talking about. But all in all, they still sound pretty fine. It's Carnival Personnel, the CP People think that being non-binary is new, when in reality it goes all the way back to the Sekhet people in ancient Egypt. Sometimes I like to think about what it would be like if I was on the Titanic. Because I just imagine the captain being like, women and children to the lifeboats, and I'm like, ah, you know, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> Do we have any gender study professors on board? Could we break out into focus groups? And then I think about like, is my morals more stronger than my Californian bones. Because I think about my little toe dipping into that icy cold water, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Never mind, you could misgender me. We'll go back onto the boat, I'll correct you later. Thank you so much. I want Jack to draw me like one of his French thems. Hello, and welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow. I'm Jacques. I'm Joe. And Joe, I'm super excited. Um, when I was in LA a few weeks ago, probably the best showcase that I got to be part of, as we've talked about last two weeks ago with a guest on, on the show from that same showcase with that tile comedy. It was just so much fun. Um, I got hooked up by our good friend, like Sally Mullins, and she introduced me to her friend Bobby, who owns a place, and her husband, Chris, run it. Um, but one of the comics that that night I was like, okay, hopefully I don't offend this person too much while I'm doing my little yuck fest. And I can at one point ask them to be on our show and whether they just have absolutely nothing going on or bad judgment, uh, we're very psyched to welcome Dahlia Black to, uh, to the podcast. Hello, Dahlia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, I don't even know where to start. Um, so I guess as Joe says, the beginnings are good where to start. <laughs> um, so you, you and I and Joe are all from the lovely shitty of Boston. Um, and so in, in, uh, I think you said, did you grow up in Medford? I grew up in JP. Ah, don't brag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, because it's funny. We'll get to the movie you shot. You shot in Medford, which is where I was born. Um, yeah. I lived in Medford for many years. Um, yeah. And I really loved it. I thought it was like such a great little like chomp of a city suburb. And uh, I don't, I don't want to brag, but uh, my wife and my mom's whole family grew up in Everett. So right on the Fells way. Uh, nice. and, and Joe. Yeah, what about it? Where, about where, I'm sorry, you, present. Where, where did you grow up, Joseph? Uh, I, too, uh, was born in Jamaica Plain, and then in, when I was four, I moved to Somerville. Nice. Yeah. Well, his family moved there when he was two, and it took a couple of years for them to track him down. But, hey, anyways, and and when did you Oh, go that was one of your little jokes from your <laughs> yuck fest. I like the part where you told the joke there. That was funny. When when Dahlia did you move out to or do you, is LA home? Um, I moved out in 2020. So uh, I, I joke that I've only been here for six months. It's been it's 2023 <laughs> at the time of this recording. <laughs> Fantastic time! Like like so so February of 2020 or August. It was a dip in cases, and it was one of those. All right, it's now or never. Let's go. <laughs> And did you move out by yourself? Did you have a plan? Did you come out with some friends? I moved out. Um, I moved in with my friend Petey, who uh, stars in The Sympathy Card, which you have watched. Um, and uh, I moved out with my partner at the time. Uh, we have since separated, but um, we, 
yeah, we had like a semblance of a plan. I mean, I've heard stories of people being like, I only had $5 in my pocket when I moved to LA. And so I'm not one of those people. I have way too much anxiety for that. <laughs> and so, and, and you no, know, it's nice that you had a landing spot because that did. I mean, when I moved out in 95, I, you know, I have a, a, a brother who rocket scientist is JPL. So I had a place, but I also, you know, got to, I had, it's a different story. It doesn't matter why I w- wound up there, but I had some kind of people, you know, so it made the transition easy or easier. I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's a culture shock. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I think that, you know, it's funny that you say that because one of the first people that I met out here uh, was from Alabama and he was like, wow, you're from Boston. That's far. And I was kind of like, I feel like Alabama's farther. Like just culturally speaking, it feels like that's a huge shift. Whereas Boston, it's one expensive city for another expensive city. (laughs) Actually, there was just a meme that went around the other day, you know, a really nice, well, graphic artist. Didn't soften the blow with the eye candy of the graphic artist, but uh, Boston's number I can't remember if it's Boston number one and LA number two most expensive cities. And that's where I toggle between, you know, it's yeah. like, Oh, Oh, great. Yeah. Like why couldn't I have fallen in love with Cleveland? You know? <laughs> well, uh, how much time do we have? Let me look at the cat. No, but, uh, but that's great. And did you come out just, for, did you come out for acting? Did you come out for writing? Did you come out for stand up? Did you come out for all of it? I came out for filmmaking brackets general. <laughs> um, you know, I think that being in the Boston scene, one of the best parts about it is that you kind of become a jack of all trades uh, because you just have to, you know, um, Boston has a wonderful, tight knit, amazing film scene, um, but it is, a, it's quite small and it's a little bit tough to kind of, I felt like my original plan when I was young was like, okay, let me become a big fish in Boston and then I'll move to a big city. And I found that I just like reached medium fish and I just couldn't, couldn't make that transition into big fish. Um, and, and what year did you go to film school for this or were you just always interested? I'm in always, filmmaking? yeah, I'm, I'm like artsy fartsy ever since I was a kid. Uh, I dabble in every, I really love the title, just like artist in general, because uh, it's like, I do painting, I do burlesque, I do drag, I do, uh, you know, rolling around on the floor, like <laughs> writing, directing, uh, some acting. I, and now stand up comedy is my hyper fixation. And, and how long have you been doing the whole stand up? I did it. I started a year ago and I actually hated it when I first started. <laughs> um, I think that I just had a tough time. I, I found that I was just like around a lot of bros and uh, I found that the beginning comics that I was starting with were a little bit too much on like the bullying side of comedy. That's just not my flavor. Um, So I really hated it when I first started, but I just couldn't get it out of my brain. And so January was when I was like, all right, let's just, now that you know what you're getting yourself into, let's just like try. (laughs) And you started out there. You've never done stand up back home. No, I haven't done stand up. Oh, that's not totally true. I did do, uh, I produced my own show uh, in August when I was visiting uh, for a month. And that was like one of those like silly things where I was like, I just started this. Come, let's bring all of my friends and show them my beginning shitty stand-up comedy. <laughs> did it go over well? Where did you do it? Um, so I did a show at Porter Square Books uh, in the Seaport. Um, and it went well in the sense that I have beautiful, amazing community uh, and everyone is wonderful and supportive. Um, but I uh, hosted the show and that was a mistake. I've never hosted before. What was I thinking? <laughs> um, so I did that. And then I also did Org. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Cloud Club. Um, yeah, it was like a it's like a private uh artist residency um home and they've got a big beautiful garden and so they have like a it was like a summer shindig show 
Nice, because there there are there's a lot of cool stuff you know happening back here, which I'm never part of, um, which is more than okay. It's funny, yeah. But the hosting thing this Sunday, I'm actually taking a hosting class. Is a there's a a big New England comic. He's a regular headliner, like every weekend he's headlining somewhere. At the same time, he produces a show where other big New England headliners, and he has been besieged by. Uh, you know, basically different club people saying there's not a lot of good hosts. Will you run a, and he runs comedy classes as well, which I, I don't know if you went that route, but I, I've not done that, but I am taking his hosting thing this weekend just because people think, oh, I'm funny. I got good material as a comic. I can just wing it as a host. Yeah. I, um, your first question about um, classes. I actually love classes, stand-up classes, um, but I do think that it really matters. Like part of the reason why I hated stand-up when I first started was that I, my teacher was uh, a like '40s white cisgendered male, which is perfectly fine, except he was like of like a '90s male comedy mindset, which. He, he was never going to like my comedy. I am, I'm queer. I talk about being non-binary and femme and uh, I basically, you know, it's like basically like the funniest, like gender theory class you've ever been to. <laughs> like he's not going to like that. <laughs> um, but then my second stand-up teacher was a lesbian who understood much more of what I was trying to get at. And so it, it flipped from this, uh, this question of like, you know, with, with this previous teacher, it was like, are you purposefully not understanding what I'm getting at? Or am I not funny? And with her, it was like, oh, okay, this actually genuinely doesn't make sense versus that you don't understand the concepts that I'm trying to convey. No. And, 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 um, when we when we have comics on, we go way out of our way to try to not talk about the material unless a comic wants to talk about it. But when you your thing about the Titanic uh, and the lifeboats, absolutely, you did that day. And then when I was like, you know, re- going over some of your material today, I'm like, that is fucking funny. Um, but but out here, it's the same thing because I've been doing a little less in a year. And when I started. I was going out to Worcester once a week and and Joe and I have been doing comedy stuff since like the early nineties and everything funny that I accidentally say is mostly written by Joe. And, but I would go and do these shows and give him like feedback. And, and the first month or so, the only open mics I could find were in Worcester. And it was exactly guys like you just described who look like me, who are me, you know, I mean, younger, I mean, they're half my age, but they're mid twenties, cis white guys, completely punching down. Like they're trying to be somewhere between Joe, help me out with who I'm thinking. Andrew Dice Clay and who else, who else would you, would you put these guys in the category with? Oh, uh, geez. I mean, Andrew Dice Clay is a good, you know, a, a good example of, you know, I mean, like a Nick DiPaolo, you know, right? I mean, like those. those I think kinds even of... a, a Bill Burr would be a great example of someone who's like quite intelligent with his punching down, and like you, he teeters that line so well. Um, and with the these new comics, they just don't quite have the skills to be able to teeter that line as well as he does. Well, they they weren't trying to. I mean, it was trying to see how much you could. You know, it's like I'm I'm gonna speak some truth and all these cancer words I'm gonna say because I'm a comic and I can do it. And it's like you, Bill Burr can do it because he's funny when he does it. And 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 like you said, there's a line and stuff like that. No, but these it was horrible. I can say so. I've been doing it, like I said, like you, almost close to a year. And I think my wife has been to three events because I cannot let her go. Not that not not that at all she's timid, and but it's just I want to put somebody through something that horrible. And, and Joe, I apologize, you have to hear this again. The long story short is I had one guy running this open mic, and it was okay. And then, you know, and it, again, like, a little younger than me, but fatter than me, looks 10 years older than me. And most of his materials are uh, uh, stupid women won't blow me because they're stupid. And then the, that would get a good laugh. But he had this five-minute routine about women who shouldn't color their hair after uh, menopause because if your body doesn't make eggs, your head shouldn't look like an Easter one. That is the punchline of a five-minute bit. 
And it's like I'm sitting there the whole time and and like my wife changes her hair color more than I do socks. And it's like and I'm thinking it's like I don't know anybody cooler on the planet. Like right now she's on a flight to Vegas because in last week and she was in San Francisco, she follows Duran Duran around the world. And it's like she has a great job. And I'm thinking she's funny. That, and it's like this guy's he would see her and say, oh, she's dumb. She shouldn't be, you know what I mean? It's like I almost stopped doing comedy just because I couldn't find places where the toxicity. And look, I'm a, I'm a chunky 50-year-old white cis guy. None of that was directed chunky. at me. <laughs> you know that voice in your head that always knocks you down? I call mine Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know Dahlia, it was it was horrible and then i found a couple places that were okay and then you know this what's interesting is the closer you get to boston the less that stuff flies because of, of like a lot of college kids like if you're going to go into jocks on sunday not my place but the the drag club jocks in, on sundays where there's an open mic that stuff is not going to fly and it, it'd be funny because i run into these guys like a week later it's like yeah, people, you know, uh, uh, there's a couple places in Watertown. So just lamenting that, yeah, just because I use the F word, not fuck. It's like people were like, like, hey, man, that's not cool. It's like, yeah, no, it's so. But out in L.A., when I was there a couple weeks ago, the different the amount of different mics. And, and I went into a couple mics. I mean, it was great because, like, I was telling my friends out here, I haven't done comedy when I lived back there. But you can did, do 10 open mics on a Sunday at different places, you know, and, and there's all these great lists. And, yeah, you're going to get a lot of that. There was one place that I went that was really close to where I was staying in Reseda. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not coming back here. I mean, I, I mean, it's just – but then you got Tao. Then you got all these places in Burbank. And there's – and I'm not talking just the mics that, you know, cater to this community or that kind of comic. But there are some of the mics where – it's more friendly. And, and what I found is the talent just pool is better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the more diverse the crowd is. Yeah. I mean, I also genuinely think there's just more, you know, I think that there's just more comics. I think there's um, a lot of actors who are uh, try stand up comedy. Um, uh, and I think, you know, I haven't, I've really only done the comedy scene in LA and London, so I can't really speak to any other places. Um, but I find that there's a lot of advantages to doing stand up in LA. And I think that having, you know, it, it, it's, it's like a double edged sword, right? Where it's like there are significantly more comics. So it is harder to like book actual like paying gigs rather than like just consistently doing bringer gigs. Um, but there's also, just like you said, there are so many open mics. Like, you know, anytime I have a free night, I'm like, okay, well, let me see where I can go. And uh, and not only just like open mics, but there's like multiple LGBTQ plus mics that I go to. And um, uh, I live only two miles away from uh, Flappers, which is like my home comedy club. <laughs> there very frequently. Um, and they've got two open mics a day. Uh, and so it's like, it means that even though I've only been doing this for a year, I have advanced so much because I've been getting my 10,000 hours in. Well, uh, um, first of all, Let's back up a little bit, Joe. You saw how she squeezed in there. I've only done stand up in Los Angeles and London. You caught that, right? Just oh, yeah. subtly drop that. Okay. All right. <laughs> like it so nonchalantly. So nonchalantly. <laughs> like, oh, by the way. Uh, it genuinely sounds way cooler than it is. I literally <laughs> just got on an airplane and then just did comedy in London. That's that's all it is. It wasn't fancy. <laughs> I thought you got on like an airplane from London to LA and then just just like did comedy on the plane. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, you figured it out. <laughs> no, I mean, I, first of all, I mean, I, I, it's funny because I've always, you know, I, I think that's great. I went to New York a few months ago. I took my 15 year old just to see a friend of ours. And, and when I was leaving, we had lunch and I'm like, oh, well, if we leave now, it's a seven hour drive home. If we leave in three hours, it's a three and a half hour drive. So my kid and I, we just, I just looked, found an open mic and went there. And, you know, I posted that. And so many of the people back here thought, oh man, you're doing stand up in New York. That's really fucking cool. It's like, 
It is. It, it, a, it is. It really yep. is. It's cool that my 15-year-old went up for the first time. Super, super cool. But it's it just the perception, you know? And, uh, and and it's the same thing in L.A. And I had I, I knew this. I knew I'm just lucky that, you know, Joe and I have some friends in the comedy world who've been on the podcast, a couple, you know, bigger people. And my friend Sally, you know, um, I go over to the comedy store and not only do, you know, I do that and she takes me to the secret afterwards because she ran the show, the secret, secret green room, like it's downstairs, it's in all the documentaries. And there's more of my friends who are impressed with that than anything else. But it's cool that here I am with her and that. And I didn't earn that. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, after my big show, they took me back there and we did cocaine like Richard Pryor in the A's. But, uh, but yeah, that perception, but no, it looks great if you're posting, you know, all that. And as far as the 10,000 hours, which, you know, uh, of some of the skits on your Instagram, which we will talk about in a bit, which is fantastic. You're, you're like, you know, getting ready to go to, I forget how you said it, but you're getting in your 10,000 hours at like some proud boy, like, you know, punching down. Like, and I'm like, I can't stand those things. I cannot imagine what it's like you walking into any of those and just your material being beyond comprehension to some of the some of the folks in there just not understanding it i could not applaud you more for getting your 10,000 hours in but under those circumstances you know like 10,000 hours and, and a trench in france in world war 1 you know type 10,000 hours yeah i appreciate that i appreciate that acknowledgement because uh you're right <laughs> um i think that you know recently i was at an open mic and uh a man did five minute material on a rape van and I could like feel myself like hyperventilating. Uh, and then I went up right after and bombed and it was like, you couldn't you follow know. rape van. Uh, I, I mean, couldn't follow rape van. Yeah. Oh, man. yeah. <laughs> but I, in a way I got to imagine that just like you said, your because not, not only the time you put in, like the last day I was there, I did like five open mics in the course of seven hours, just started at one end of Melrose and drove down, you know, and it was, and, and just that, you know, I mean, here it's tough because I'll drive an hour to Worcester, two hours to do your five minutes an hour home. So it's a four hour investment away from my wife, away from my kids, you know, um, who I really just are my whole world. And they're on the fence about me, but that's four hours to get in five minutes and the same thing to follow somebody crappy. But the fact that you're putting in the hours, but you're putting in the hours and the roughest of circumstance, like with material that you know, isn't going to fly. You know, it, you could kill, you could absolutely get in there, your timing, your cadence and your material best you've done. And you know, you're going to get crickets, which I, I, again, I think it's, makes you just that much of a better rounded comic. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I literally am just impressed that you keep putting yourself through that because you know, you'll get to a certain audience at one point and the material will, your material will kill in the right rooms. It's yeah. not going to kill on a Tuesday afternoon at the five o'clock flashback, Mike and Van Nuys, <laughs> you know, yeah, but you yeah. have to go there to get the cadence and the timing and all that in there. Yes, 100%. Um, going back to the comedy uh, venues, um, I, I did the same uh, show that you did. Um, and so my, my second show ever was at the comedy store, which like, again, having that on my resume saying second comedy show ever was comedy store sounds so impressive. <laughs> but in reality, it's just like, I just lived nearby. <laughs> but 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 it but don't again, I mean, you yeah you've been in LA for six months slash three years, uh, but you, you but you knew this before leaving Boston. Perception is everything. Yeah, I mean the it's, absolute fake it you make a thing is real. Yeah, like none of these video games true. behind me are not real. Like this is look, see? what? Wow. I just wanted to impress you. So here I thought I was talking with a Pokemon millionaire. Nope. <laughs> nope. I, I barely have a Mario Brothers. <laughs> do you have a do you have a friend or, or a support system that you're doing this with do you go to mics with the same person the same people do you meet up or are you, you just doing this solo 
Um, great question. I uh, This is actually another reason why I like classes. Um, you know, it's really interesting because I, I, I ebb and flow with my, with if I think that classes are worth it or not, because truly I think that like the first class of all stand-up comedy courses should be like, I'm going to tell you the secret of stand-up comedy. You just need to do it. <laughs> and if you want a refund, by all means, you know, yep. like that should be, that is like the only ethical way, in my opinion, to do stand-up comedy classes. But for me, I've got huge failure intolerance. Um, I really hate being bad at things and stand-up comedy, you start terrible and you start terrible publicly. And so it's been great for my failure tolerance because it means that I'm pushing myself in that way. But those first few months were hard, you know, like when you're playing guitar for the first time, you get to suck in your room for a year, but I have sucked publicly for a year. (laughs) So, um, and so that's, that's really tough. And so I love the classes because it is this like safe environment to try things and fail and get, notes from people of like what actually makes like what like literally logically doesn't make sense versus it's not funny you know and uh yeah so all that is to say is that I do have a few classmates from my uh classes that will just like text each other I'm pretty good about my own accountability um because again as I mentioned this is like my hyperfixation right now so I'm just like all my free time uh I try to commit to like two to three open mics a week um and so it helps if I have people that I'm like I'm going to this mic on Monday you want to come and uh and it's nice to then be able to talk with them after and like discuss notes and such What do you think is harder? The first open mic that you went to that wasn't a class that you walk through the door, put your name on the list and wait to go up or the first open mic you went to after you bombed? (laughs) Well, so this is again part of assuming you've bombed. I don't know if you have. I don't want to catch dispersions. Oh, oh, I've bombed. (laughs) Um. I I am a non-binary femme comedian. Of course, I've bombed. <laughs> um, I uh, so part of the reason why I hated that first stand-up class was because, uh, and maybe maybe I'm the dope. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a caveat that like I, it's entirely possible that I was the idiot. But at no point did he say that we should be going to open mics, and so I just went into the class and did my material and then did the show and so like when I should have been doing one class one open mic uh, throughout that course to like kind of like get used to it and so yeah so so my very first time was like essentially I actually uh I ended up getting COVID for the student showcase so I missed it so my very first show was like a different show that he managed to get me on so but it was a show show it wasn't an open mic um and yeah and then and again I just like I thought that I just needed to do shows I didn't know that open mics were a thing until this most recent January when I was like oh I should like try and commit to this <laughs> uh you know, it's funny because since, since going to LA I you know I, I set certain markers for myself I said this is what I want to accomplish before I go there and then I'm going to assess what the next phase is and now I've realized that while there is no substitute for getting up and doing it, I'm cutting dramatically back on the mics that I go to and being more like, I, I realized, okay, I can work stuff out with Joe, like go back and forth and do it with him. I've done it enough. You can never do it enough. You know what I mean? It's like, again, like Bill Burr just came to Boston and he did two unexpected, you know, walk in to work out some stuff before he did his Fenway show and he bombed the first night. It wasn't an audience for him at Bill Burr 30 is in bomb. Like the guy who, who I, I just turned on a podcast, it, you know, owns Nick's comedy and he's like friends with him. He's like, yeah, the first night he bombed and he came back to the dressing room after excited because I haven't bombed in 10 years. This was great. And it, it kicked his ass and you know, the next day. So I will never not need it, but I've realized I know enough people I can jump on zoom with two or three people and work out a bit, you know, type thing. So I don't have to go to Mike's to work out bits. I have to go there to do 
all the other stuff, the cadence and the timing. And there's one mic that I like that's not too far from me. And it's like, it's probably, it's only like 25, 30 minutes. But it's just at a cable access studio and it's a feedback mic. So sometimes you have four or five people. Sometimes you have 10, 12, but there's no bar you're competing with. There's no restaurant you're competing with. There's no back room. So the dickhead comics who go on second or third don't stand in the back talking to themselves or talking to the, the guy who went on fourth while you're going up there eighth. And you're not required to take the feedback. But it's been so it's been helpful because there's been a couple things where it's like, okay, yeah, this did this didn't make sense. Somebody helped punched up, which is great. And then there's been somebody has punched up and they were like so bad. I'm like, it actually helped to get bad feedback because I'm like, okay, if this person didn't get it, I'm on the right track because this joke ain't for them. And then and you know. Um, and it's also the, the video for you and the guy will email it to you and it's free and it's great and it's supportive. And, and so that's something that I'm going to make sure the one mic that I get to, but between taking this hosting class and starting to get book things, it's like, I hope to get up two to three times a week, but I cannot go to, you know, Worcester for a guys who look all like me, <laughs> you know? So, so, uh, no, it's amazing how much opportunities you've gotten out there and that you've found this like community because I probably will come out there in February and I know I'll get two or three book things, not because I'm good, because I have friends, you know, who'll say, yeah. Oh, I'll put you here, I'll put you here that I've known by culture. But at the same time, I'll take a day or two and I'll hit seven or eight mics. I'll I'll, mm -hmm. I'll I'll do the first mic Sunday morning at like a, a nine o'clock mic and just go through the day and, and work something out. Now that you've been doing it for a while, do you think it's because I don't know if you you almost touched on it. Uh, do you think more actors and writers are doing mics now because of the strike? Have you noticed more people showing up and has that affected the doing the stand up? Yes, I would like to pause that question and go back to another point that okay, you had please. about um, getting feedback from friends. Yes. Uh, so I apologize because I, uh, we are new friends and I am not a podcast person because I am one of those assholes who works from home. So I don't have a commute, so I don't listen to podcasts, <laughs> but so this, the, is this like for advice for people or is it or we're just uh, chatting. No, we're just chatting. A, nobody's the, listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, like my favorite thing, because um, I drive for Uber all day for free because I have two children. So I'm in the car all day, every day, because one is going from point A to point B. And because I, I, you know, when I work, I work out of the house. We're I'm, I'm very lucky that I get to drive all my kids everywhere too. And I mean that because I know who my son's friends are. I know where I know their parents. I know I don't mind, you know, doing all. So I'm in the car for hours a day. So I just listen to podcasts all the time. And generally it's comedian podcast. And there's nothing I like more than listening to comics talk about their process and talk about all the things that we're talking about and whether it's an open mic like in the past couple months you know we've had some huge people on in new england some big people on in la a bunch of my friends that i've made cultivated you know in the in this and just talking to different people about their process is fun for me it's i used to be addicted to sports like like joe will tell you addicted to sports like 24 hours a day in the middle of the night if i went to the bathroom i would get caught up reading 20 articles about it doesn't matter it was 20 and so you know but i've always been interested in comedy joe and i collect comedy albums and we've always you know we've done comedy shows since we've known each other for 30 years but as far as you know this podcast specifically i just like talking to people about how they're getting from point A to point B, listening to, you know, what, the, what, what pitfalls that people have had. And, you know, and yeah. then I've gone back to mics and I've seen people at mics and they're like, oh, you had this person on last week and I feel better because I fucked up the same way or, oh, you know, what they said about this really made me think about that type thing. And it's been really nice to kind of get that immediacy from, from people in my circle. Um, you know, like I said, we had this guy on a few weeks ago, it was big, and he talked about the shitty hosting of 
not open mics, but book shows. How few good book shows. We had this big comic on who we've had like three comics on in the last few months who once a month get on a cruise ship and that's their living. And they're my age and they're, and they talk about, yeah, the cruise ships are always complaining. There's no good host. And that's why this guy is starting a hosting thing. And then there's been a bunch of my friends who are like, oh, as soon as he announces that, or if he tells you when it is, please let me know. So it, it, it kind of, it's kind of nice. So selfishly, um, I just like talking to artists about different things, which we're going to segue to talk about you moving a second, which I, I, I really loved. It was really, really, really fun. And we'll get into specifics, but, um, but I forget what we left off, what we sidebarred for. Yes. Okay. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, yeah. cause, cause I would have skipped what I was going to say if it was like, no, we're just, you know, chatting, but, um, you had mentioned about getting feedback from friends yes. and I think that that is wonderful, but I do think that there is a caveat, which is your friend's because with comedy, I think one of the biggest things that I personally struggle with is context. And your friends already have the context of you as a human being that makes it really challenging for them to be able to isolate the joke without the context of you. And I think especially when you're doing things that are a little bit like borderline of like, is this punching down? Is this okay? Is this misogynistic? Is this racist? You know, anything like that, where like your friends know that you are a good person, you are, um, you're not like that, quote unquote, uh, that it can be, it can get lost in their feedback if it turns out that like the audience will not be on your side. And it's one of those things where like, you know, when you lose the audience, it can be really challenging to like earn their trust back. That's interesting. And again, because of how you present and, and, and you know, how you identify and stuff, going into certain rooms, you have to kind of lay out certain groundwork so people know Yes, you're you're talking from this point of view. You might be judging from this point of view, but uh, you know the book and the cover are two different things here. So let's you know, and I think you do that great. Like I said, when you you think about the Titanic, is just just fantastic. Uh, so that was fantastic. Now I do want to talk about you know Dahlia, the the writer producer. Um, sure. Did you want to talk about striking? <laughs> striking. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Do you find that more people are going to the open mics now that they're striking and they have more time? This, so this is a really interesting question. And it's one that has come up for me um, recently amongst my friends, because I'm finding that um, the that a lot of the mics that I normally go to are selling out like super fast. Like there's this one um, all femme night, um, that I really like. Um, but it is like, they post the list at noon and it is sold out by 1205. Like right. it is, it's, it's, and it's, um, three full hours of like, I think 10 comedians doing five minutes each. Yeah. So, uh, so that's 30 slots in five minutes. Um, which again, you know, as I mentioned before, like, you know, there's just more stand-up right. comedians in LA. But I do think that there are people who are, um, who, when I have been going to the open mics, there's a lot of people who are talking about striking. And there are a lot of people um, talking, you know, I think that maybe normally they would uh, not necessarily need to, like, get up um and do a mic but i think that they're just kind of like well let me just try it let's just you know let's just do a thing you know which is great i really love it i think that it's like a i think it's fun to have that diversity um particularly with writers uh and i think that sometimes with actors it can be a little bit challenging um you know i find that in some of my classes it's people who are actors who go into stand-up comedy thinking that that is going to help launch their acting career forgetting that they need to write their material right. <laughs> no it, it, it it's 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 so interesting because when i was out there that i had that thought it's like how many of these people are here because they're not on the lot writing on this show or that show and i noticed like a couple people i noticed a lot of people who were clearly more writers in comics you know um 
so it was it, it was a, it was an it's it's been an interesting thing to see how long you know that will will go on does does the striking affect your day job and and your career and stuff like that are you in sag or aftra or any of those i have the most la job in the world and i work for an influencer <laughs> so no uh she's not in any union um so i am i am good <laughs> okay do you work for money <laughs> I work for advertisement. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, so now let's segue into your your producing and 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 that side of the camera stuff. First of all, um, on your bio, which which you have so much on that link tree there, but I watched a sympathy card. Um, it, it's a it's a you know a lesbian rom com. And it's on Tubi. I don't know where else it is right now, but I, I that's where I watched it. And I'm like, you know what? I'll sit down and I'll watch it and see how this goes. Um, I'm not a huge romance comedy person, and I do not do good with awkward situations. The thing that I think makes my wife happiest in this whole world is watching me watch things she knows is going to make me uncomfortable. Like that is her happy place. Like we stopped watching the, I couldn't watch the office when it was on originally at one point, there was one specific episode that if I even mention and don't do it, Joe, see Joe's getting ready to mention a couple things that he'll say one line from a movie and literally up from the bottom of my spine up to the back of my neck, I can just feel my anxiety. So I usually don't watch awkward things. Your whole movie is one gigantic awkward situation, um, which, which out, without giving anything away, it's, you know, cause it's in the bio. It's, um, you know, a, a lesbian couple, one of them's dying for cancer, and their goal is to get their wife hooked up before they pass away because they don't want their wife brooding for the next few years. And it's called Sympathy Card because the dying wife is point, you know, it's like, you know, you got this sympathy card. You got to go use it, you know, and, you know, the, the survivor wife is awkward. And, and, and by the way, the first like 20 minutes of the movie, I'm like, who is she? Who is she? And she reminds me of like a young, oh, I cannot say her name. She was hosting Jeopardy for a while from Big Bang Theory. Mayim Bialik? Bialik, yeah. She reminded me very much of that, like a blonde, younger version of that. Uh, and the uh, and the other lead, I'm like, okay, if somebody told me that's Tignataro's first cousin, I'd be like, yep, that's <laughs> definitely Tignataro's cousin. Uh, and, and they were great. But at the first scene and they're playing soccer and she accidentally you know breaks her nose and she's like you know calls her dyke tyson i'm like okay you know what that's a funny line i'm gonna i'm gonna write this out you know because it, it, that that first line that first attempt at a real joke landed i'm like that's gonna be funny um so tell me how that movie came together yeah um so this is i was really just producer on this movie um so i didn't have much uh a part of it um but uh pd gibson is uh the person dying of cancer and in the movie uses she her pronouns but has since transitioned into being a man and so now he uses he him pronouns um and uh he uh smashes that role i think he's like absolutely fantastic in it you were the goth chick um and the dungeons and dragons game which was a yeah. you, you had a very funny line in that the, i thought everything about it i'm trying to think of the character's name but his relationship with his mother was just awful <laughs> You know, and it was just like the things that, that poor woman was put through. But you get this whole sense of her backstory. It was an hour and a half. It was great. It's on Tubi. But you say you didn't have a ton to do it. But then, and then I'm calling you out on this, and you're, oh, what is it? Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the other project you have where you have a demon following you around. Oh, it's on your link tree there. But basically you wake up and there's a demon next to your bed. And the whole day you have this demon just beating you down. Uh, yes. That was my like directorial debut. So it wasn't me. Uh, I was not the star of that movie. I wrote and directed right. that movie. Yes. But you, as a writer and director, you had the same Fox sweatshirt 
And yes. that, <laughs> see, see my attention to detail. So, so I'm trying to think, uh, what is the significance of that awful, <laughs> awesome? It's a Joe's worth that he's copyrighted. Awful Sim Fox T-shirt that or sweatshirt that you that that, that is. And, and is that a running thing in everything you're shooting for the rest of your life? That's such a great question. Um, so the truth of the matter is, is that uh, indie film. <laughs> <laughs> we use what we have and that is my sweater um that i love and it is something that is very cute uh is very striking obviously as you noticed it <laughs> twice um and doesn't have any logos or uh tight patterns to cause more egg so <laughs> so it's a great movie prop movie costume you know um most of the clothes in the sympathy card uh so much of it is mine <laughs> that That's just, fantastic. And, you know, you had mentioned about um, about her her uh, demeanor and she is coded as a um, person who is on the spectrum. Um, it's never explicitly said that she's on the spectrum, but she's definitely written as just kind of like, I don't understand all of these rules. I don't understand this dating protocol thing. I don't get it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> They were absolutely great. No, um, no, it, it was a really fun ride. So, what, what other than the stand-up obsession is is next on the agenda? Um, so, comedy is really uh, taking the steering wheel right now. I mean, I think that when you're uh, an artist with a full-time job, I think it's hard to kind of focus your time um, in a bunch of different places you know because you really only have so much spare time um and so yeah but I but I'm writing every single day um it's always my goal part of what I love about stand-up too is that uh you know it's not only just that it's because it, I do find it to be an incredibly difficult um art form like it is truly like one of the hardest things I've ever uh done but in a lot of ways, it is so much easier than filmmaking because with filmmaking, it's like, you know, I have to write a like, if I'm writing a feature, for example, that means like 90 pages of writing and uh, God only knows how much money. <laughs> and with stand up, it's like I get five minutes um, of writing and uh, really it's like more like four because you have laughter that's kind of built into that. And um, some people do. So some people do. Show. Yeah, you know, you know, I got five minutes. Ago. I beat you to it. Joe. That's all. I, should, I just said it so you didn't have to. Thank you. Um, yeah. And and it's free. I mean, you know, maybe it costs you five bucks to do an open mic, but it's uh, the the cost expense to you for doing stand up is so much less than making a film, which is part of the reason why I'm like, I feel like I should just focus on this for right now. Um, and so I write, I try to write every single day and I try with standup. Um, I've been writing like down like various, like anytime like a funny thought comes into my brain, um, I'll write that down. So like today, for example, this is not complete in any way. It's just like a nugget of an idea, but I was thinking about how we have breeds of dogs and we should have breeds of cars. <laughs> I think that's funny. I don't have a joke around it. It's just like a nugget of an idea, but that's something that got written down to just kind of like oil the machine. <laughs> you got something you can punch that up, Joe? You got something? Uh, I, I'm thinking something with a Tesla. And I don't know, you know, like if it's, yeah, like a Tesla looks like if you, if you bred like a DeLorean with a dumpster fire. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Excellent. <laughs> do you have uh do you have friends in your life who are no longer or are, are cautious about what they say around you because they don't want to wind up as a bit Ooh, uh no because i'm not mean <laughs> well not even mean it's like when I, when I started to do it i steered away from it and then one day like uh, you know i i i I was rehearsing for a friend, assume like a 20 minute thing. And it was the first time my wife sat in and she's like, how come you haven't mentioned all of this? We, like we moved back from the Middle East to take care of her mom who was Korean and she ended up having like a stroke and she lost her ability to speak 
speak, could only speak in, in Korean and, and her boyfriend turns out to be illiterate. And my wife's like, how come you're not talking about that? It's hilarious. Like, yeah, my mother having a stroke is comedy gold. Why not aren't that you digging? Part of it. Well, but you know the stuff, that, but it turns out, but, and she's like, and I'm like, okay. And now there's been a couple of times when I've run bits by her and she's like, or she'll say something. She goes, uh, don't put that in your act. Don't, don't, you know, I, and the one time she came, I didn't run something before first. And she's like, Oh, I wasn't ready for you to have said that because like some of her friends were there type. Thing. And it was fine. The joke went over fine. But she's like, and now a couple of her friends have, have said something like that when they come over and they're doing something. They're like, oh, be careful because he will take any misstep and and tell that to strangers seeking approval in some room in, in Worcester. So I didn't know if you've had like people stop, you know, it's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have this conversation around Talia. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that really what I most experience is something stupid comes out of my mouth and they'll be like, you have to fucking make an act about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, rather than people being like concerned about me per se. But I, I don't have too many. I also think that there is like this really interesting misconception. Like all comedy should be based in truth. That's 100% yes. true. Um, but I also think that it's really interesting that like people take comedy as truth um, instead of, you know, the exaggeration that it is. So a lot of right. literal minded audiences now, especially with younger people. And I'm and as an older guy, I'm probably biased, but I do notice that a lot of younger people, not just in comedy, but also interpreting like theater and theatrical works, they'll they'll misinterpret how a character was written and uh, misconstrue it and, and and maybe vilify a character that's actually supposed to be a satire of a villain. you know what i mean like and they don't quite get context or or nuance moving on uh so what is the next six months in year do you have are you one of these people who's like i need to be here or this is my goals like i either want to have x amount of book shows by this time i want to have a 20 minute set by this time i want to do you have um either goals or benchmarks that you're striving to over the next six months or a year? Um, yes. Can we, we're, uh, I want to go back to context though, because sure. I think that that's such an interesting conversation and um, I'm so sorry because I feel like we're I'm making your editing job so difficult. Oh no, no, I'm not editing. I'm, you know, it's yeah. good job. <laughs> don't All worry about it. Process. Oh no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to have another thing for you to edit out. <laughs> go ahead. Um, cause you know, it's so interesting talking about, uh, the nuance. So I, I'm actually like writing right now, uh, my review of the Barbie movie. I recently saw it for the second time. Have either of you seen it? Uh, only because I haven't got a chance. My wife's dying to see it. She's seen it three times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so basically, uh, this is like a smidge of a spoiler, but it's, it's really hard to spoil Barbie because it's just like, you don't really know what you're going to get yourself into when you see it. Um, but there's like a part where the Barbies kind of emotionally manipulate the Kens and it's done with humor and it's done um as like a plot device you know and it's really interesting because I have like I don't super love that right like I don't super love that they did that and uh but I also like recognize that like I'm not really sure how else they could have done it while still make proving the same point and and so it's it's an interesting thing talking about this like nine to five with these like younger generation um of like not really understanding uh, the satire, not totally understanding um, what it is. But, but I think like what's so interesting to me is the idea that like, because we have just had decades upon centuries of this misogynistic media and this patriarchal view around a patriarchal and racist uh, you know, all of the things <laughs> um, in our media that like, we're only like just now really like kind of cracking open the egg to be like, this shit's fucked up, yo. <laughs> like, I'm sure you've experienced that while like rewatching 80s movies and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, 
again, even in this piece that I'm writing, like I was trying to uh, find movies of a like smart, special uh, woman protagonist whose significant other husband supports her fully. And I cannot find any. <laughs> the only one is uh, On the Basis of Sex, which is uh, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's um, landmark case. Uh, and but but it but it's like quite revolutionary and then when i look at movies where the smart special woman gets manipulated and abused by her husband there's plenty of that and then there's also plenty of like the male protagonist having a, a woman support him fully um and and so i think what's tough is that because we have had just so many examples of things being quite shitty that and we don't have many examples of things being good it can be so hard to um to be able to like really look at things critically and really look at things wholly especially for a younger generation I feel like because it's like there's just not a lot of examples of like what is a what is like a pure movie does that make sense <laughs> no it, 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 yeah I, I was just gonna say so i mean a one example i'm trying to think of what you were saying about having a, a character a, a, a smart special female lead character being supported by their husband i'm reminded of like the julia child movie julie and julia and i'm thinking like when they cut back to i don't know if you've ever seen that movie with I meryl saw it streep. In theater, so it's been quite some years yeah, yeah it's like meryl streep and stanley tucci as the husband yeah. and i i I don't know if the, the the Stanley Tucci character husband is like supportive or just sort of there, but he, he she's not he's not working against her. Yeah. Um. But I I guess that can count as support. So I don't. I, but again, that's one example that I can maybe maybe think of. But um. Yeah. And then as far as like the piece about how you were saying then the Barbie movie that they the 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 female characters uh, the the Barbies manipulate the Kens. And you, you didn't quite like that. I guess, is it, are they trying to like buck stereotypes, but at the same time using stereotypes? Is that yes. sort of, you know? And Precisely. maybe that's kind maybe that's kind of like, you know, getting back to context, maybe we're, t as a public consciousness, where maybe because we want to exploit stereotypes and, and burst and, and break them, but at the same time, it's like, we want to make a commentary on them, but we don't want to, um, rely on stereotypes, but that's the shorthand. That's the kind of like the, the, the catch 22. It's like, we don't want to perpetuate stereotypes, but in order to address those stereotypes, we have to mention them and kind of play on them and therefore giving them some sort of credence. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's hard. It's hard to like comment on stereotypes with, while still being like, you know, without actually like giving more weight to those stereotypes. You know, Absolutely. it's like a huge elephant in the room, you know, it's like, we don't want to address it, but we, we can't talk, not, we can't address it without talking about it or mentioning it. So what do we no. do? And, and, and these are the things like, you know, you know, ra raising two boys in the world and trying to make this generation better as much as we can. But my 13 year old had a big problem with that scene. Like, you know, there's been lots of discussions because that really bothered him. And his mom's trying to put context to it. Exactly what you're saying, Joe, that she's trying to say, it's like, well, yes, it's wrong that this happened and it's not right that it happened before, but they're using that as a device. And, and, and maybe that's it, because he doesn't we get grew, it. We grew up as older people. We grew up with those stereotypes. So we know the shorthand, we know the language. And so now when we're trying to make media about those stereotypes, younger kids, they only know what they're told. You know, they, kids aren't born racist. They're not born sexist. They're just taught that. So when they're watching media that talks about these negative stereotypes, even if they're trying to dispel them, they still have to now introduce every, everybody who's watching that movie to that stereotype. Right. You know, so we're now all to speed on this, you know. Yeah, again, so like your thirteen-year-old is gonna be like, "Why? I don't like this. What? Why are they doing this?" It's like, "Oh no, you don't get it. You see, because." And then you know, then it's like, uh, then you've already planted the seed. It's like, okay, don't talk about the stereotype to these. Don't teach kids stereotypes, but 
now we're teaching kids stereotypes by talking about the stereotypes. So I don't know what to do. I, I just say stop watching TV. I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> just go to a cave. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, right. Maybe we, we're the real monsters. You know what, Joe? I think we are the real monsters, and we're monsters because we've taken up so much of Dahlia's time on on a Friday. Um, I, I I will let you go. I would have jumped on the metal rabbit hole with you if our co-host Biff was here, because Biff is like, you know, all about baby metal. Um, I'm trying to think the other band he just went to see in L.A. Um. Oh man, I I don't know if they're Iranian, but this this absolutely death metal Iranian woman rock group that like that. he sent it to my wife and or my wife found it and sent it to him and goes yeah I saw them or I'm going to see them so that because when you got up that stage at Tayo like you thanked the person who drove with you for letting you listen to your preset music and you what what yeah. what what was the subset of metal that you specifically <laughs> I'm trying to think because you had a very specific type of metal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, we were talking before about, um, uh, like explaining who you are and, uh, you know, I, I'm non-binary and femme. And so a good chunk of my five minutes is like explaining what being non-binary is and explaining like why I look femme and also still identify as being non-binary. Um, so the joke is that I, uh, I have long, like that you might not see me as non-binary because I have long hair, but I exclusively listen to metal music. Um, and I listen to cannibalistic mermaid grind core. <laughs> I, I, I knew it was like four things. And it's like, wait, how do those wind up in the same sentence? <laughs> and it's a very funny line. It's a very, very funny line. I will say that is a made up genre, but the second one is satanic gospel music. And that is real. <laughs> And that's something I think I would listen to. I would definitely I'll give that. Link. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because I had a post house and Metal Blade Records was our client. And we had to do an audio edit on a Cannibal Corpse song. And we have the woman from the label on the phone. We couldn't fucking like it was so nondescript. Like we couldn't find out the word that we had to because you couldn't tell it apart. Because I don't know if you, I, of course you know who they are, but it literally sounds like the guy is swallowing like a case of razor blades while he's singing. And I'm like, okay, so this is you know it, my, the metal band that I think I like the most is Death Clock, and that you know, but otherwise I'm like you know the Pixies and Pavement and Joe's all about Earth, Wind and Fire and Journey. It's, it's just I don't even know what your favorite bands are. Yeah, exactly. Who cares what my favorite bands are? But six months later. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, seriously, Dolly, this was great. Uh, I cannot yeah. say thank you enough. We will post, like, you know, uh, of course, your, your Instagram. We will tag you on that. Is there any other places that people should be following you other than, no, you know? I'm, I really need to get better about uh, prioritizing uh, transitioning from Porcelain Dahlia to Dahlia Black, but I haven't yet. <laughs> so you can find me at porcelaindahlia.com. And you have a newsletter. I do the blackmail. Um, yes, I highly recommend it if you like to hear ramblings about artist struggles. <laughs> so tell you, thank you so very much. You, Joe, you got it. You got any you got any thoughts on the way out the door? I did I have any thoughts coming in? No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, actually, if we could just all have like 10 seconds of silence so that <laughs> just delete the whole episode. Yeah, exactly. Just so we <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait! I did press record. Okay, oh, we got to do this uh, all over again. Yes, <laughs> this uh, is like probably like my fourth podcast or so, and I find that like I really want to like advocate for like an hour of just like chit chatting and then an hour of like recording. You know, I feel like right. that's the way to do it. <laughs> as soon as we're done recording with you, Joe and I will do our regular show because that's what we do on every other Friday. We record two at once, and it's just. Two an hour with this, an hour with that, and two hours in between because we yeah. don't have lives. We're old and married, and we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and and this is as good as it gets. Dahlia, thank you so very much for doing this. Absolutely, such a pleasure meeting both of you, and I will see you soon. Thank you, Dahlia. And if you could do me another favor, like please just for a moment pretend to be all of the people in my life who like means so well, but just don't quite get it. Okay, so uh, repeat after me. But Dahlia, you have long hair.
Oh my god, it's like my dad's here, right? <laughs> I do have long hair. It's because I exclusively listen to metal music. I find I keep on hearing that AI is about to steal all of our jobs, right? You've heard this, right? Um, but what's so funny is I listen to these like sub, sub, sub genres of metal. Like I am talking cannibalistic mermaid grindcore and like satanic gospel music, right? And my algorithm will be like, why not you listen to System of a Down? <laughs> Thanks, I needed that. <laughs>